Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I've just put together episode 42 of my Lessons from Lost podcast. Ah, the answer to what's seven times eight. That's right, it is. And the life, the universe and everything else. So you watched Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I did, yes. Good for you. Who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Julie Randall about losing herself and more in a series of abusive relationships. That's unfortunate. Did she have a relationship with a porcupine? No, I don't think so. Oh well. Well, let's listen to Julie's story anyway, shall we? Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. Please take care as you listen. So today I'm chatting with Julie Randall. Now, Julie hit rock bottom about eight years ago, following lots of threads of loss throughout her life, including abusive and toxic relationships, bullying in the workplace, divorce, bereavement, debt and financial hardship, a hypervigilant childhood, to name but a few. And Julie's since turned her life around and she's here today to share her journey and what she learned that guides not only her life, but also the other women who are in similar situations that Julie helps support and works with. Welcome along, Julie. Hi, Rachel. Thank you very much for inviting me along today. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Gosh, there's an awful lot to unpick here. So many threads of of loss that each one could probably make an episode just in and of itself. So maybe a good place to start is, you know, what was happening for you eight years ago when you when you hit rock bottom? What was going on for you at that time? And then we can sort of begin to explore what what led you to that place and what you learned from it. So perhaps that's yeah, perhaps we can start there. OK, um, you're right. There's a lot to unpick. Um, eight years ago, I ended um, at a relationship. It was a relationship I'd been in for about six and a half years. Um, I loved the person greatly. However, there were lots of challenges within that relationship. Um, Far too many to to go into now. But as a a highlight, if you like, um, my partner had uh, a life-limiting condition. Um, He was separated from his partner. Um, We ran a business together. And um, after all the stuff that had gone on before, I believed that I had found my Prince Charming. Um, what I realised when I uh, six after six and a half years that, that I definitely not found my Prince Charming, and what I had been I'd been living through was an abusive relationship. Uh, just to put some context into that, um, I as I said, love this person very much. And throughout the relationship, there were times where it was fantastic, absolutely wonderful. But there were many, many times when it was dire, absolutely dire. Um, Anything I said was wrong. Everything I did was wrong. Everyone I spoke to was wrong. You name it, whatever I did was wrong somehow. 
and whatever I was doing was impacting on his life and making him feel so terrible about himself. And like all of these things, it's a very, very slow, slow burn. It, it It's insidious. It's like it's like creeping ivy. It doesn't start, you know, with a bang of like, hello, um, you know, you're in an abusive relationship. It doesn't start like that. There were little things. There are. I used to say that I had a, my favourite colour was red. Um, um, and then I remember that something called a red flag. And I realised now that red is not my favourite colour because um, I used to see a red flag and I think it used to be like a bull. And I'd go, oh, there's a red flag. Let me let me run after it. And I don't say that to trivialise. But when I look back, I think I probably did do some of that. So this relationship was very intense. We worked together. We ran a business together. And um, it had got to the point where... I knew in my heart that as much as I loved this person, it wasn't going anywhere. And But I still didn't realise at that point that it was an abusive relationship. I just thought, he's a bit of an idiot. Mm. You know, one day he's okay and next he's not. And again, um, without wishing to trivialise it at all, there were times when it was hell on earth. And, and, and I'll just give you a, a very small snippet into a scenario that used to happen. Uh, because of this life-limiting condition, often um, he would not be around and uh, he would be, and I'm going to use the word allegedly now, he would be in hospital. And a number of times he was in a coma. And if you love someone and you think they are ill like that, and as you can imagine, that's really traumatic. Of course. Uh, but, but we used to have, a, there was another level that went with that. And that was during those times, I used to be contacted by his so-called friends and family. And those people used to text and email me pretty, and I'm uh, 30 to 40 times a minute with different questions. And those questions were all uh, generally about me about me, my past, my past sex life, my past relationships, etc. Because apparently I had done some terrible things to my partner and they wanted to punish me. Now, this sounds really crazy. I know it does. But this was my reality for, for a number of years. So I used to get these messages constantly. And this messaging would go on for 72, uh, probably on average for 72 hours. And then it would stop. And then, somewhere out of the blue, my partner, who had been at death's door, used to get better again and come back to work. And that was a that was a pattern of behaviour amongst many, many, many awful other behaviours that went on. So, throughout all of this time, I became a shell of my former self. Mm. I didn't trust myself. I didn't communicate with people because. I used to get threats, um, not only to myself and my family, but my friends, that if I didn't do X, Y and Z, then, you know, basically something awful was going to happen to a friend or, or my daughter or my son. Um, if I didn't answer a question during these questions, because at first, you know, I, I'd like to say here and now I've never been a shy retiring wallflower. So it wasn't something that I just went, oh, OK, I'm just going to answer, you know, I'm just going to answer these questions. That yeah. wasn't how it was. I very much fought back in the beginning, but the fighting back resulted in, if you like, more questions and, and worse threats. And so over time, I think I, I learned 
to, for want of a better word, play the game. Mm -hmm. I realised that if I said certain things, it made matters worse. I was like, okay, don't say that. You know, don't give any more information than you've already given before, because any information you do give will be used against you. Now, this is a whole maelstrom of stuff going around amongst, as I said, all these other things. And within this, as I said, we tried to run this business together. And um, a lot of the time, as I said, he wasn't around because of, he was ill. And um, I got to the point where I knew I couldn't do it anymore. I tried to end my life three times not because I wanted to die, just because I wanted this craziness to stop. Yeah, yeah. I just, I was like, I, I, I don't, I, it was, I'd never experienced anything like this before in my life, ever before. And I I couldn't deal with it. And I guess because there was, it wasn't just, you know, the relationship, you know, you had your, your livelihood wrapped up in it mm. as well. Well, the, well, this is the thing, you know, I, I tried, you know, many, many times to walk away, many times to walk away. And each time it, it was, you know, it was, oh, you know, you're ending our, you know, um, you're ending our business, you're making, you're making me poor, you're not, you know, all, all of this stuff used to come out. And I used to think, well, you know, what am I going to do if I don't run this business? I haven't got a job, but I, I felt even despite everything, I felt confident enough that I probably could go and get one. I didn't feel that he could have gone and get one. And because I still love this person, I, I didn't want to, you know, um, reduce him to, you know, not earning any money or anything like that. It was very manipulative, the whole thing. And I, I, I think I, I, over time, I, I think there was a point, and I couldn't tell you when it was, I couldn't tell you a date, but I think there was a point I actually did reach rock bottom. Um, but that rock bottom wasn't the me walking away from the relationship. That rock bottom was me. I think somewhere a voice said, come on now, you've whatever goes on here, you have to survive. And and that's and, and I had three children. Um, two of them had left home, but I still had a, a daughter at home. And that was very much I think I have to survive for my children. Mm. I don't know how I'm going to do that because this is all flipping crazy and it uh, you know I don't know what to do but I knew there was this somewhere that I, I had to survive and from there something changed and I I began to pattern things together I started to piece things together I, I started to realize that some of the things that were being said weren't adding up yeah. Now, anyone listening to this would have said well, it, none of it added up from the beginning. But as I said, it, it's all very convoluted. And, and when you're to... in it, you can't see it either. Absolutely. And I guess also that that slow, very sort of gradual creeping ivy effect of it means that you it kind of lulls you into that. Oh, well, this is just the way that life is. Yeah, it's, it's a bit odd at times. But yeah, as I said, it was my reality, you know, mm. And I started to piece things together and I started to realise that when these, these um, you know, when he was hospitalised and all these questions, et cetera, would, would happen. And then it was never telephone. It was always text or email, never a voice. It was never any of those things. Um, I started to realise, like I've said, they would last pretty much 72 hours. They would end probably between four o'clock and six o'clock in the morning. Typically, he would then have a miraculous recovery and he would be back at work one to two days later, sometimes even the same day. I began to, and then I, also within all of that, 
I, you know, I, I had my nurse's head on. And I was like, people don't walk out of a coma mm-hmm. and, you know, turn up to work two days later. They don't do that. They don't do that. They just, and so each time I think a little revelation made me think, oh, hold on. I then added that to a, I suppose I was like, almost like liken it to a filing cabinet in my head. And I locked those away. And then when another one came along, I'd go, hold on a minute. And I started to add them together. And I realised that as much as I loved this person, I didn't trust a word he said. I didn't believe any of the things that he told me. And and ultimately, I knew that it wasn't for me. But as you've alluded to, we were together in a business and I wanted to get out of that business. And I knew that he wouldn't just let me walk away because I did most of the work. Um, And and so I knew that I had another challenge there. What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, So the day the relationship, if you like, ended, it wasn't a day where I had in my head said, right, okay, I'm going to end this today. It didn't happen like that. It, it basically happened um, with a one of these scenarios. I'd said something that had upset him. He'd gone off in a mood. Lo and behold, he'd ended up going back into hospital when he was in coma again. And I don't say this to be flippant at all. This is the story. Um, and I, again, was in this questioning scenario. But by this point in my head, I was like, I don't care. I'm not playing this game anymore. Mm. So as much as I was being asked to do this, do that, questions about this, blah, 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 I was refusing. And I knew that I wasn't going to back down. In my head, I was like, no, that's it. I'm not doing it anymore. But I also knew that it would probably get worse. But I also believed because of what happened before that it would fizzle out. It didn't fizzle out. It kept going, and I was like determined. I was like, "You're not breaking me this time. I'm not giving in." And none of this was anything I verbalised out, you know, uh, outwardly. Nor was it anything I told anybody else. This is all this conversation in your head, Gosh. that mind chatter. Yeah. And um, the next thing I knew, I received a phone call from my friend, and she said, "I've just had missed calls at work. It's leaving messages on switchboard. Blah 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 blah." I said, "Right." Don't worry, I'll sort it. And I put down the phone and I sat there for a couple of minutes and I thought, I've got no choice now. And I picked up the phone and I dialed 999. And I told them some of what had been happening. And then that started the whole journey of getting out of that relationship. But that that was the day. It was a Friday afternoon. I can remember it very well where I said, that's it. I'm done. So the realisation of shit, what have I done? Yeah. It's like, wow, I, I knew that I was going to get repercussions or assumed I was going to get repercussions. Uh, the first thing was, well, that's it. We can never work together. The business is done now. It, it, you know, this is, I have literally thrown a bomb in the room here and just walked away. Um, I got loads of abusive phone calls. I got all sorts of things. I had to go to the police. I had to get an injunction. I had to do all of those things. And of course, as much as I had grown stronger, I I still was uh, pretty wretched. I mean, I, I as I said, I I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust myself to 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 talk to other people, to form relationships with people, and that's male or female. Um, I didn't know myself. I, I and I also 
realised from stuff that I started to read that I'd been in an abusive relationship. And that, that was like being hit by a steam train. So it's like, how, how can that be? I, I, I'm not stupid. I'm intelligent. Mm. You know, and not that I'm the brain of Britain, far from it. But, you know, I, I thought, yeah, I, and I, remember, well, I, yeah. I, I used to say to myself, well, it's okay, at least he doesn't hit me. So the realization that I'd been in this this mentally coercive, controlling, manipulative relationship that 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 was uh, that was awful, and I think in many ways I took probably longer to recover from the realization of that than what had actually been happening because I think slowly I began to do that even before I pushed that button and, and dialed nine 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 that day. Um, so. Armed with, you know, I I spent the best part of three and a half years pretty much on my own. I did socialise with family. I did socialise with some friends. But a lot of the time I spent on my own. I did a lot of reading. Um, I did a lot of soul searching, a lot of thinking, a lot of piecing things together. And those things weren't just about that relationship, but trying to work out how I got to where I'd got. Yeah, yeah. And, and how they had linked to stuff in the past. Mm. I, I was like, mm. and this actually, actually, now I think about it, that that reminds me of, you know, something in my childhood. Yeah. Or and actually, when I look back, you know, there were so many patterns that I just blundered through, had, had, had I suppose, ignored, really. I hadn't realised. And, and I think it was that, that it made a massive change in my life. Massive. I had counselling, um, and as I said, I, I spent a lot of time on my own. And through connecting all of that stuff and learning and, and, and all of those things, I suppose I put myself back together. I mean, that was after the injunction and the, trying to spit the business and all of those things, which which you went, I had to go through. Uh, and none of those were easy. I don't think I, uh, I, I laugh when I say this and I shouldn't. Um, I don't think I've ever known. A, I think I don't think a commercial lawyer has ever received messages like from anyone like he received from my perpetrator because they were something to behold really the things that i am supposed to have done and the names that he called me to a commercial solicitor would make anyone's hair curl quite honestly it was embarrassing to say the least but i didn't have a choice i had to go through it yeah and but uh, i guess that actually then helped build the the evidence your case for it all well interesting that's another interesting thing obviously I I went to to the police with my evidence and you hear many women say and not just women actually you hear many people who have been in abusive situations that it's very hard to progress stuff with the police Um, I told my story and um, the um, police officer I, who I spoke to, she was she was lovely, and she went away, and she came back, and she said, "I'm really sorry, um, but my sergeant doesn't believe that we've got enough to prosecute." And I was like, "Great!" So I was pretty upset about that. Yeah, yeah. And then and then she said, and then she said, "Unless, of course, you've got evidence." of this these these messages and I went how much evidence do you want well she said what have you got so I handed her my phone and on my phone there were loads of messages 
I also had um, emails that had been sent. And even though the, the relationship had ended, I had subsequently, um, and I'd got an injunction and was working on getting an injunction, there were still things coming through. Mm. And when she looked at all this stuff, she was like, oh, my. And she went back to her sergeant and came back and said, no, absolutely, we can do that. If I hadn't have had that, I, I he would never have got his three-year injunction and yeah. all of those things. Did you had you always kept them, or had you kept them at the point at which you started to realise that you know this isn't this isn't well, normal acceptable behaviour? A lot of the stuff I deleted because I was so ashamed of what was written course, on them. Yeah, I, I didn't didn't worry. I thought if ever my children saw this, I'd be you know it'd be awful. So so a lot of it I did delete, but I think um, I, I did keep. Um, for some reason, I kept some. I could never tell you why. Um, it, 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 once we, like, once I rang the police, I did keep everything. Yes, but I had yeah. also occasionally kept the odd thing from the past. And the the what I learned was that um, he never. Well. I don't believe he ever left his wife. So as much as I've been in this relationship with someone who I believed wasn't with their partner anymore, I think that he probably was because every time the police had to go to the house after this, you know, after I, if you like, blew the whistle, he was only ever at home. Um, he is, and we're now talking another eight years down the road, he is still alive. I do not believe he ever had a life-limiting condition. Mm. All of this stuff was used to manipulate me, to get me in a place to do what he wanted me to do. And as much as I know that, I don't understand why anyone would ever go to those lengths to do something like that to someone. I still don't get that bit, but yeah. it's not mine to get, if that makes sense. I've, I've, I've dealt with it. It is what it is. And the only way I've been able to rebuild my life is to accept that and to move on. Um, was it easy? No, it wasn't. In the first eight months, I missed him, missed the good parts of him terribly. Mm. The bad parts <clears throat> of him I did not miss at all. And I was still witnessing all of that. Um, but eventually, after he had his injunction, he did, he did walk away and stay away. Having said that, I know sometimes he still stalks me on social media. He has reached out to uh, a couple of people I know and they've all ignored him. Uh, we have reported it to the police, but there's not enough at this point to do anything about it. I consider it that's his problem, not mine. And yeah. I'm not prepared to live my life looking over my shoulder. I, I wasted that time. I did. I'm not doing it again. And I, I, as a result of becoming a very different person, because as I said, I spent so much time looking at myself and relating that back to stuff in the past, which, uh, you know, I, uh, as a child, as I, you mentioned, I'd have, I, I grew up in, very, in a, high, a very hypervigilant childhood. Um, my parents, um, I was adopted. I was an only child. Uh, my mum and dad um, were, uh, my dad worked, um, he was a professional, my mum worked as a dinner lady, um, but they had a quite an interesting dynamic. They argued a lot um, for six months of the year. It was nothing for them not to talk to each other. 
And I used to be the go-between, tell your father his dinner's ready, da-da-da-da-da, often from my mother, not my father. My father was pretty much, didn't say a word. Um, my mum was, um, I think, a very unhappy lady. Mm -hmm. um, she was very spiteful. She used to call me names. She used to smack me. She used to punish me a lot for so-called misdemeanours. She was... I suppose moody, um, trick, I used to call it tricky. You never quite knew what you were going to get. Yeah. Uh, was it Forrest Gump says, uh, life is like a box of, like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. My mum was like that. My mum was beautiful. She had a fantastic smile and she could be a delight to be with, but sometimes, and quite often she wasn't. And mm. I think I took the brunt, I think I took the brunt of their relationship, not from my dad. My dad was very... My dad, my dad was very different. My dad was a sulker. You know, if someone said something he didn't like, he didn't talk to them. That was that was his way. And although I didn't, he he never. I don't remember him ever shouting at me. I don't remember him ever hitting me. Um, but I do remember occasions, not very many, where I did something that he didn't like, and he just didn't talk. That was mm. awful. I didn't yeah. like that silent. Didn't like that silent. And I still don't like that now. Even as an adult, when someone is in that whole sulky, not talking to you type scenario, I still get those same feelings. They still come up inside me. And I remember what that was like as a child. So because my mum was like she was, um, I, I was always on tender hooks, always trying to dodge the next move, trying to do things, trying to please, that whole people pleasing, yeah. trying to please her, trying to do things so that, that she wouldn't be cross with me because I didn't want her to be cross with me. And and then, in, you know, some sort of punishment. And when I say punishment, I don't mean physical punishments, but I would be stopped from doing this, stopped from doing the things I wanted to do. Um, and, and generally, I was unhappy. Um, my a number of my relations have said, you know, as a child, whenever we saw you, you were crying because you'd always been told off for something, often nothing, but you had, you know, been told off for something, you know. Um, and uh, of course you don't realise that people know that. You just, again, it's just my normality. It was what was what I lived through. Of course. Um, and, I, and as you're saying that, I'm just kind of so aware of, you know, the parallels with what you were saying about your former partner so many parallels so of course it makes sense that that when you were in that relationship that was just kind of normal because isn't Learned that behavior, isn't it isn't that how relationships go absolutely and you know uh, he wasn't the only person I'd had who I'd been in a relationship with that had been abusive you know I, I had been married um three times um, I think it's fair to say I would look back and say I wasn't great in relationships and more to the point I wasn't great at picking people to have relationships with um, I um, my first marriage ended uh, very quickly I found out after I'd been married for a week that he was having an affair with somebody else oh, gosh. Um, I'd been with this guy um, for three years he was very affable, amiable, great, very gregarious, outgoing, funny, all of those things. He was, he was, sounds going to sound contradictory. He was a nice guy. I had never seen anything violent from him ever until he had a girlfriend, until I questioned him about the girlfriend, which he denied. And then he used to hit me. 
And um, I walked away from that very quickly because that was very cut and dried. <laughs> yeah. I knew that I was being here and, and that was it. I walked away. Um, I then um, entered into another relationship with the guy, very different, much quieter, all of those things, very, very caring, very generous, uh, very different. Um, we had two children together. Um, however, um, on reflection, I think he was a functioning alcoholic and he was a very, very nasty drunk. Um, so he would uh, he used to work away in the week and he'd come home at weekends and then he'd go to the pub. And then obviously I had to we had two young children. So unless it was the summer when we went to a pub garden or something, I didn't go because the children were going to bed and stuff like that. Yeah. And so he used to come home and he would be aggressive and 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 um quite nasty. Um and in the end, um, despite wanting that relationship to work, um, we agreed that we couldn't make it work and you know. We went our separate ways. Um, I then um, had another relationship. And again, um, uh, probably the, this um, my third husband was much more like my first in his ways, very outgoing, funny, all of those sorts of things. Um, uh, he was ex-forces. He um, was a prison officer, had become a prison officer uh, when I first met him. And he, not to me, as such, but he was quite controlling, quite controlling, particularly with my eldest two children. Um, and he didn't wouldn't know the truth if it jumped up and bit him on the nose. I can honestly say that. I don't think he ever told the truth in his life. Um, and he was a womanizer. And uh, over time, we, you know, we stayed together for 18 years. But it, and at times the relationship was good. But on reflection there were a lot of things in there that weren't mm. um and a lot of you know the whole trying to please people trying to keep things going and also for me you know i, I haven't mentioned this but i was quite religious at one point um i believe in marriage for life and all of those things and of course all of these things are happening and and that was chipping away again at my confidence and my beliefs and our I, I was ashamed of the fact that I had these relationships that didn't work. Um, and what I realise now is that I I didn't spend the time needed to understand why. I, I didn't do that. I just blundered from one situation yeah. to another, um, as, as I know many other people have and do. Yeah, so I guess having that time, <clears throat> excuse me, after... Um, after the, you know, that, that partnership that ended eight years ago, having that time that you gave yourself just to be a lot on your own, to do a lot of soul searching, reaching, um, you know, soul searching, putting, putting those patterns, seeing where those, those patterns were forming, that probably was like a really important kind of change time for you that made the difference perhaps from ending that relationship that you haven't done at the end of other relationships I think when I look back I think the other the other relationship sent enough of a message but I didn't listen mm. I, I just uh, there were 
it was easy to it was easy i think to find fault with the other side and as much as there were challenges with the partners and their behaviors and all of those things i too had challenges around my behavior you know i was very um quick to anger i was very impatient probably when i look back not surprisingly but i, I was and uh, i think i i think i was probably very difficult to live with too um so you know it, it was a two-way street it might you yeah. know it takes two to tango doesn't it um but i think the the last relationship that i refer to as mr volcano that was a whole different ball game and by the time i was with him i had already changed so much since when i first got married when i was 19 you know i i had mellowed a lot i had learned a lot there were things that i changed and i think if i to be honest, I think if I'd have met him when I was 19, I don't think I'd have been in here anymore because I don't think I would have had any of the skills or anything to dig into to keep help me hang on. Yeah. Bearing in mind that I tried to end my life three times when I was with him. That shows how bad it was. And I already had, you know, um, 48 years of, of skills and that I'd learned from adapting to situations that hadn't been so great. If I hadn't have had those, I don't think I would have survived at all. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? How this, you know, just one day, for whatever reason, you hear that voice and you think, oh, you know, I've got to listen to you now. Mm. Mm. I think it was the, I, I don't exactly know why, because obviously I'd been in this relationship and I'd done a lot of research on this so-called condition and I'd found bits that pieced it together, but it, it, I could never find anything about it totally. So there was enough to think it may be true because it was supposed to be so rare and blah, 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 blah. But ultimately, um, I realised that it, that it wasn't, that it was just made up. Um, but what I, what I, the reason I mention that is, but I never thought I'm going to sit down and research his behavior yeah. I never thought that it never it never crossed my mind once until the day after I called the police and I can remember I sat on a Saturday afternoon I've opened the laptop and I started typing in words and, and words started coming up and I was like and then I ended up reading this book that was all about abusive behavior I sat and I, and I sat there thinking why have you done that today Mm. you never did that three years ago two years ago a year ago I have no idea that's what I did then so after my three and a half year recovery as, as I like to refer to it I felt stronger and all of those things and um, I continued to work in the business that was left um, on my own oh um, okay and it, interestingly enough yeah I, I had to buy him out um, uh, which I knew I would uh, because he didn't, didn't just walk away, decimated it, completely decimated it, uh, bad-mouthed me to all people in business all over the place, and a lot of people didn't want to work with me, etc. However, I always learned when I worked in sales that you never diss the competition, because somehow it will come back and it will bite you yeah. on the bum. And so I knew that he was doing all of this out there, and I never said a word. I kept very quiet. And I never said a word. And interestingly enough, every single person that he dissed me to eventually came back to me and said 
we think we've made a mistake. We don't think we're being told the truth. We actually realise that there's more to this than meets the eye. That took time. Mm. Um, and uh, it was um, useful. And yeah, it made it, me, they, but they found out for themselves. Mm. Which must um, have felt quite validating for you. Yeah, he wasn't who he said he was. And it wasn't that he would make big promises about what he was going to do for people and then he'd never do any of it. And then, of course, when I worked with him, I used to pick up the pieces and so that yeah. it wasn't recognised. But, of course, when I was no longer working with him, there was no one to pick up those pieces. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that was... And those people, um, there's probably about half a dozen of people there and they are all now, what I would suggest, you know, they're all very good friends of mine. Um, but you know, I I let them. I thought it's no point. I'm not going to do that battle. I thought I've done all of this. I'm not going to do this battle of you don't know the truth. Da 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 da. I thought no. You make your decision. You go with yeah. what you want to go with. You'll either find out or you won't. And they did. Um, so, um, so at that, that point, I think I I although I I wasn't really enough of what I was doing anymore. I was like. Well, okay, yeah, I'll still do it. I, I, I sort of looked around a couple of other jobs and thought, actually, I quite like being self-employed and being able to, you know, have time off with my grandchildren when I want to and all of those things. Um, I had a granddaughter, actually, who was born about um, a month before the relationship ended. And I have to say, I think she was my saviour, although she doesn't ever know. She'll never know that, if that makes sense. She was, it was, she was wonderful. And I think she gave me something to focus on, to hold yeah. on to. Um, so yeah, we have a, we had a very, I mean, I was there when she was born. We have a very special bond, and since then, I've got two other grandchildren as well, and I love them dearly. So I didn't want to give up that that sort of the the, the flexibility that you get with self employment. Although, of course, with self employment, you do also uh, sometimes have to deal with the having not so much money as you would like. Yes. But you know, that's 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 the way it goes. Um, so, and I had a voice. I, I describe it as a voice. I, I used to refer to it as a gremlin. I don't know whether what it was a voice in my head. I don't know whether it was God. I don't know. But I had a voice that pretty much for a whole year kept saying to me, you need to go out and work with women like you. And I used to, I don't know, it sounds funny when I said, I used to literally turn my head and say, shut up, go away. You don't know what you're talking about. And that was, that was a conversation I had for about a year until one day, the voice said it again, and I said, okay, what does that mean? And then I thought, oh, <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do now? And um, I started to research what I could do. Um, at that point, I got to the point where I, 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 because, of course, for all of this, a lot of what had gone on, I'd never told people to enchain, yeah. to embarrass, didn't want to say, et cetera, et cetera, which is all part of that whole abusive thing anyway. Mm. But over time, I'd grown confidence, I suppose, and I shared little bits with people I trusted. And at that point where I had that voice, I realised that I felt strong enough to tell my story. I could tell my story. I knew that, but I thought, that's fine if I tell my story, but then what? What does that do? Okay, it might raise awareness to somebody, but because I always want to help further, I was like, it's not really enough for me because I don't just want to tell my story. 
Um, so I was like, well, what do I do next? Um, so I started to do research. I looked at things with women aid and, and refuge and I went on courses. And, and then I thought, well, that's fine. I now know all about domestic abuse. Not only do I know it on a, um, you know, academic level, I also know about it personally. And I, I thought, well, that's great. But so what? Um, and that's when I decided I'd um, go off and um, look to be a coach. So I looked for a coaching organisation um, and that's when I um, stumbled across one of many and um, did my coaching qualification with them. Uh, and that now led me to no longer working in sales to payment solutions. Um, I now have my own business and I work with uh, primarily business women, um, helping them to uh, spin the plates of life because I think challenges come along. Um, you alluded to the fact that I had bullying in the workplace. Yes, I did experience that, not by my perpetrator, but in in a past life. Mm. I'd also been that working mum. I had a kid with, you know, with special needs. And so there, there were lots of things to do. And at times it was all a bit overwhelming. And plus I worked in male dominated industries. So that again brings another level yeah. of, um, you know, an extra level of, if you like, tenacity and mindset that you have to have because, um, you know, I hate to say this, and, and I know a lot of women who still work in male-dominated industries will agree with me that you generally have to work twice as hard as the guys to get any recognition. So that means that you're generally operating like a guy, which means, therefore, you, you're using up, you know, what bits of testosterone you have, and then you're going into burnout and all of that. And yeah. I've done all of that. So for me, those are the women I work with, women who are in that scenario and by default, at least 50% of those women have experienced um, an abusive relationship as well. So, so those are the women that I work with. Um, and I'm also this year starting to look at working with businesses to help raise awareness of domestic abuse, what that looks like, how they can support their staff better. By doing that, that will help them, you know, reduce sick days and all of those yeah. things and help them retain staff better with a view to supporting those staff through that scenario um, and out the other side. So, yeah, it's... Oh, I mean, that's I, phenomenal. When, that... It's one hell... I, it's going to sound odd when I say this. I know it's one hell of a story, but it's my story. And to me, it's just normal. But I realised that for many other people, it's not normal. Mm -hmm. And they they therefore you know look at it very differently to the way I do yeah yeah and but then clearly there are other women who who actually listen to that and can relate it to their own experiences that you're now being able to to help which is you know really amazing that you can that you can do that that you can help perhaps have uh, help them have light bulb moments or kind of see that next path because I guess also tied in with that is that you're almost sort of stuck if you can't see what the next step is to extract mm -hmm. yourself so you may even have recognized that actually this isn't right and I am losing myself within this but if you can't see that next step and it's that's putting an awful lot of sort of trust into yourself into I don't know the universe whatever that that it will be okay, but I guess sometimes that's almost what you have to 
do is just go, I, I can't see that path at the moment, but I know that I can't stay here. Yeah, I think often, um, you know, one of the things I alluded to is that when you're in the midst of that stuff is that often you lose friends and support around you because people don't understand. If, if you if you do share anything with them, most people's initial reaction is, well, just leave. And as I've said, it, it's not that simple. Your, your confidence is, is lowered. You uh, have a, a great connection with this person. You generally love this person. You don't want to leave them. You just want them to stop doing the things that you don't like. And uh, people around you often get bored with that. Not even bored, frustrated. Yeah. They get frustrated. They don't understand. And 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 people people like to give advice. I found. And when you you probably know this yourself, but when people give you advice and you, they don't you don't take their advice, often people get a little bit uppity about that. They don't like it. And I think when someone has your best interests at heart and they see that you are changing before their eyes and all of these things, loved ones find that very hard. They find that very hard and often distance themselves because they can't deal with it. Yeah. So then you end up, you end up where you've got no support either. So even if you do realise, oh, my God, you know, I, this, this stuff is going on and I realise it's not right, you can't go to anyone because you've, everyone's estranged now and, and there's that whole shame and embarrassment you don't want to go and talk to those people so actually finding someone who is 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 you know hasn't doesn't know you from adam can often be a much simpler way i mean the one thing i will say is that if you know someone who you believe is experiencing you know uh, abuse uh, and is struggling then i can't i i beg you please leave the door open yeah. as hard as it is, as hard as it is for you. And it will be hard. Please leave that door open because there may come that day when they want to walk through it. And if it's closed, what do they do next? Mm. Where do they go? Well, that's really, that's really powerful and something for us all to reflect on because as you say, it's, it's very easy to get frustrated and go, well, I don't know what more I can do. It's like you won't take my advice. You, you know, and yeah, to, there is, I suppose, that element of frustration and boredom. It's like, well, you know, if you're not going to sort yourself out, then there's, you know, there's perhaps nothing more that I feel that I can do. But yeah, just keeping that, that, door open those channels of communication of support open even if you don't understand what it is that they're going through mm -hmm. yeah that's certainly something I will um will take away and and reflect on and ensure that I'm doing that that myself so out of everything that you've gone through what you know what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned from it that feeling Mm. our hearts tell us something our heads tell us something else our guts tell us the truth and when I reflect back on my life the times that I have ended up going into situations or continuing with situations which are not healthy for me I'll have been when I've ignored that gut feeling because I've been able to my head has been able to 
give me reasons why I should continue. And actually, your gut is is the best predictor of what's going on around you. If your gut is screaming at you, don't do this, then don't, is my advice. Because every time I've looked back and thought about it, those were the times where I ended up going to the next situation, which caused me another challenge. Mm. Have you got any advice on how people can tune into what that gut is saying? Because that might be quite an alien concept for yeah, people. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think most of us get a feeling. I, from everyone I've spoken to, when I talk about gut feeling, most people go, oh, yeah, I know what you mean by that. But that is that, that feeling in your stomach that's whirling or whatever it is for you, but you feel uncomfortable. There's a situation or something that you feel uncomfortable and it's emanating from your stomach. And probably along with that feeling, you're probably questioning something in your head. You're prob- It's probably a do or don't scenario. It's probably, shall I do that or shall I not do that? Or mm. do I like this or don't I like this? It's that questioning I would suggest that when you have that feeling and you've got almost like that yes and no, I would suggest that you. it is better to go with the one that when you make that decision in your head, that feeling will subside. Because generally when you make the right decision, that feeling will subside. Now, it doesn't mean that, of course, Doing what you need to do is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that. But what it means is that once you, what I have found is once you get over that initial hardship of whatever it is you have to do to reduce that gut feeling, then you have a better outcome than if you were to follow the gut feeling. Because generally, following the gut feeling is easier at the time. So you, you take the often it's the easy choice mm. because you don't want to because generally going with your gut feeling when you have that scenario it's generally a hard decision or an easy decision and the easy decision is often to avoid something yeah whereas the hard decision is generally something you've got to do you might not want to do it but actually once you did it you would have a better outcome does that make sense yeah, absolutely. But quite difficult when our brains kick in and they rationalises all the reasons why you should do something, do the other thing. Well, I suppose it's like uh, we can always resort to that old fashioned piece of paper. Sit down, mm. split the paper in two, put your pluses and your minuses and see which list is bigger. Now, if you're anything like me, when I've done it in the past, I, <laughs> I've looked at the list is bigger, that's bigger, and I've still rationalised every single one of them and gone down the wrong path. <laughs> As a piece of advice, which I'm offering to you free here, um, if your list is bigger on one side, it's bigger for a reason. <laughs> Don't do what I did. Go with the other side. <laughs> that sounds like very sound advice julie <laughs> and often we don't have that you know we don't have that particularly sometimes we have a split decision to make and i get it it, it is difficult 
Uh, one of the things that um, you can do, which nobody else can see, um, if you're in a situation like that, is literally have your hands and maybe just press two fingertips together, just very gently, just so you can feel the ridges on your fingertips. You can do that perfectly in public. Nobody else knows what you're doing. And just zone in on that just for a couple of seconds. And sometimes just by doing that alone will give you that space to be able to rationalise your thoughts better. That sounds something very, very easy. And as you say, very, you know, very discreet and subtle that nobody, mm. nobody needs to know that you're that you're doing that. It just helps because in our heads, we've all, as you see, we talked about, we've all got this chatter, this stuff going on. Um, I refer to you and we've got a judge. Oh, you shouldn't do this. You should do that. Da, da, da. And just by focusing on something else can stop all of that chatter and just gives you a minute just to just to be, if you like. Mm. By doing that, that breaks that that's going on in your head and allows you then to be able to make a decision. Yeah. And I guess allows you then that quiet moment then to tune into what your gut is saying as well. And the other thing I would really add to that is if you make a decision and you realise it's the wrong decision, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. You can change it. Yeah. You don't have to keep following that path. You can change it. So if immediately you make the wrong decision, that's okay. You can make the change and do something about it later. And sometimes you need to be ready to be able to make another, to, other, to feel strong enough to be able to, to take another path. And sometimes that takes time. But it's not a, I've done it now and there's no going back on that. There's nothing, the only one thing you can't go back on is death. Yeah. So if you haven't died, you can still make a change. So it's not the end of the world, although it may feel like it at that point. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, I really like that, that actually, if you, yeah, as long as you're still alive, you can, you can change, you can, you can find a different path to go down. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been a really inspiring conversation and just really interesting to hear that journey that you've gone through. If people listening and particularly women you know, are interested in the work that you do or or relate to your situation or want to find out more, what's the best way that they could get in contact with you? Okay, I have a website, which is enlivened.co.uk. If you go on there, you'll find all my contact details. Um, also, um, I'm on LinkedIn and my name on LinkedIn is Julie P. Randall. Um, link up with me on there, send me a message. I'm have, always happy to talk, always. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. I'll put that information in the episode notes so people can find it easily enough. Oh, thank you so much, Julie. It's been a real pleasure having you on here and keep up the amazing work that you're doing in helping other women work out their patterns and work out their, their strategy for where they're going to go next to turn their lives around too, like you did. Thank you very much, Rachel. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Julie. 
I hope it gives some insight to people who are perhaps supporting somebody in, abu- in an abusive relationship and also maybe a glimmer of hope if you are beginning to realise that you are in a, an abusive relationship and the steps that you can take. What a useful episode, thank you. Thank you so much to my network who support me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music and of course to you, the listener. I so appreciate you. I'll be back soon with another lesson from Lost.